It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 294 for May 25th, 2012. This week, eliminating crapware from your new computer. Playing Microsoft Word's trump card. What to do if an employer wants your password. And in short circuits, making a small fortune with Facebook stock. Another bad break for Kodak. Yahoo prepares to start shedding Alibaba stock. And no joy for Oracle. You buy a new computer, and when it boots for the first time, you discover that several applications you didn't want have been installed. The cheerful screens that follow tell you that the manufacturer decided to install these essentials as a grand favor to you because they are applications everyone needs. That's wrong on two counts. Not everybody needs them, and the only favor the manufacturer is doing is to pad the corporate bottom line. Manufacturers are paid to install these applications. Your mission? Eliminate them. There are probably good reasons for buying computers from the major manufacturers. I can't think of any at the moment, but they probably exist. I've been a customer of TCR computers for more than a decade. Before that, I built my own computers, but at some point I realized that the guys at TCR could build a computer to my specifications for little more than what it would cost to obtain the parts on my own. And they offer a rock-solid three-year guarantee. They also don't install crapware on the systems they sell. And speaking of that guarantee, I did have to use it once. The computer I'd bought routinely experienced blue-screen failures, and after TCR tried several times to isolate and remedy the problem, they concluded that more than one component was faulty. And then they replaced everything. Motherboard, RAM, video, audio, everything. I think maybe we retained the disk drives because they were clearly not the problem. After that, the computer ran flawlessly for several years until I retired it. That's just one of the reasons that I recommend TCR if you're in central Ohio, or a local independent computer assembler if you live in some other part of the country. But maybe you don't have a supplier such as this nearby and you need to buy a crapware-loaded system. So when it arrives, your first task should be to remove the junk you don't want. This takes precedence over installing the applications you use and putting the new computer into service. The time to remove the junk you don't want is now, before you add anything. And here's another warning. Before you buy a computer, make sure that you will receive a standard Windows installation disk with the system. Second choice would be an OEM disk, which might include special drivers for the system. If the manufacturer offers a recovery partition on the hard drive instead of an installation disk, run. When a hard drive fails, it takes the recovery partition with it. And if you need to reinstall Windows, the recovery partition will reinstall all the crapware the computer came with. Applications such as the Revo Uninstaller or Crap Cleaner are sometimes recommended as useful tools for removing a manufacturer's crapware. Both of these applications are useful, but they really aren't good choices for removing the junk that manufacturers add as a special favor for the systems they sell. Instead, you should consider applications such as PC Decrapifier, Slim Computer, or Wind Patrol. 
First, let's look at Wind Patrol. I recommend it. Wind Patrol has both free and paid versions. The paid version is a one-time $30 fee. It's an application that does more than just identify and allow you to remove the junk that some manufacturers include. It can also monitor your computer and watch for malware. Wind Patrol's tabbed interface allows you to explore deep inside the system. Even with the tabbed interface, it's a busy screen, though. Some of the tabs won't work unless you've licensed the paid version, and the Delayed Start tab doesn't pick up settings from applications such as Startup Delayer. When you find an application you'd like to eliminate, you can disable the file, remove the file, or delete it the next time you boot the system. Wind Patrol reveals adware, keyloggers, spyware, worms, cookies, and other malicious software by allowing you to see what programs are running on your computer. When new programs are added, Wind Patrol will alert you. It doesn't scan the hard drive for threats, but it employs a heuristic analysis. The paid version includes access to an online knowledge base. Second, Slim Computer. I can recommend it, but only with some strong reservations. Slim Computer has an astonishingly simple interface. Unfortunately, though, Slim Computer also replaces your default browser pages and your default search engine with AVG Secure Search. In other words, an application that claims to eliminate crapware installs its own crapware. My recommendation is always to use custom installation so you can see what an application is doing at install time, but I was in a hurry and I allowed the express installation with recommended in parentheses following it to run. If you look at the TechBiter Worldwide website, you will see below the words custom installation some grayed out text. It's really pretty hard to read. Well, because of this, AVG Secure Search became the homepage for every browser I have, except Opera. And fixing the problem took the better part of an hour. For an application that claims to remove crapware, I found that to be just a little more than ironic. If you download Slim Computer, at least choose the custom installation, as I didn't, and deselect both of the options for AVG Secure Search. I contacted Slim Computer and asked them to comment on this issue. I can't see any good reason for an application, particularly one that promises to remove crapware, to install crapware by default. Offer the stuff, but don't make it the default. Slimmer Utilities CEO Chris Cope replied, and I quote, We're happy to provide users with software that speeds, cleans, and improves their PC's overall performance, including features that can scan against multiple antivirus engines to help find malware. Giving users the option to install additional software from one of the industry's leading Internet security providers to help protect their web browsing and search results from malicious websites is one more way we empower users to provide tools to help improve the PC experience. In addition, users can easily set their home page and remove and rate plugins in the browser dialog of Slim Computer as well. Well, if you're careful, as I wasn't, you will find an application that offers to examine the computer for unwanted applications, browser add-ons, and toolbars, such as AVG Secure Search. It'll also find startup items and shortcuts that you might not want. On completion of the scan, each section has its own report and you can choose the level of optimization you want. So the problem I encountered was that there's no obvious way for Slim Computer to restore the default home pages to my browsers. One browser has a dozen pages assigned to the home function, the other has eight. Restoring these was a needless waste of time. 
Now, I'll accept the blame for neglecting to read the installer screen carefully. That was in violation of my own rules. But I still believe strongly that it's both irresponsible and inconsiderate of a software publisher to make changes to the user's computer. Unexpected applications should be installed only with the full and clearly stated advanced disclosure and only after obtaining explicit opt-in from the user. Slim Computer has a cloud AV column. That's rather interesting because it depends on crowdsourced intelligence. And yes, I did mean crowd-sourced, although the crowd is in the cloud. Clicking View Results will take you to the Slim Computer website and display information about the application you're interested in. If you want to show only unwanted or less applications, you can click on a red link on Filter Results. When I did that, Slim Computer suggested two applications that should be considered unwanted. Macro Express, sorry, it's very much wanted and needed. It also suggested eliminating the real upgrade. That's the real media upgrade application. That's definitely not wanted. So the lesson here is twofold. First, pay close attention when you're installing any application, even ones that promise to remove crapware. And don't take everything an application such as this tells you as correct. It's important to review the application's recommendations and confirm that they make sense to you. Overall, despite Slim Computer's easy-to-use interface and attractive features, I consider it only conditionally acceptable. And third, PC Decrapifier. I recommend it. The application is free for personal use, although you can contribute $5 if you want. The application starts by asking whether you're running it on a new computer. That's a good idea. And then it offers to create a restore point. I like that approach. Next, it suggests applications that it can remove on its own, if you want to, and then shows other installed applications that can be removed, although you'd have to do it manually. But whether you use one of these applications, something else, or nothing at all, the final decision must be yours. You need to take the time necessary to determine whether an application is something that's useful and you want to keep, or whether it's nothing more than crapware. And in the final analysis, that's why the big OEMs should stop installing this crap on computers. Let them charge an extra $5 or $10 per computer to make up for the income they lose by no longer installing the junk as a service to buyers. Or you could do what I do and buy from a company that treats its customers fairly and honestly. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll find download links for all three applications, PC Decrapifier, recommended, Wind Patrol, recommended, and Slim Computer, recommended with reservation. Had Slim Computer not engaged in what I consider to be antisocial behavior, it would have been my top choice. can't always depend on your word processor's spelling check function. A sentence may contain lots of spelling errors, but some of them might not trigger most spelling checkers. And by the way, they're not spell checkers, unless you're a witch who needs to test your incantations. Nothing beats an editor when it comes to finding mistakes, but as you've no doubt noticed here on TechBiter Worldwide, errors slip through even in edited text. My fingers have a nasty habit, for example, of typing hopsital, H-O-P, S-I-T-A-L, when I mean to type hospital, and I've set up an autocorrect function for that particular error. Even without the automatic correction, though, this error would be easily caught and fixed, 
because hopsiddle isn't a word. But what about embarrassing typos that are words, such as manger for manager, fundraising for fundraising, pubic affairs for public affairs, or a but for about? If your fingers try to embarrass you by committing errors such as these, you need an exception dictionary. The 2010 version of Microsoft Word performs context-sensitive spelling validation, so it will catch some of these errors, but it's not perfect, and it generates enough false positives that some people just turn it off in frustration. The exception dictionary is a personalized solution to the problem. Creating an exception dictionary is easy, but the process does vary considerably among versions of Word. So if you'd like more information about how to do that, I have a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website to an excellent resource that explains on a version-by-version basis what to do. Microsoft Word comes with a standard dictionary that users cannot edit, and additional specialized dictionaries are available from other companies to cover other vocabularies, legal, medical, engineering, and such. You've probably added your own name to Word's User Dictionary, which is simply a list of words not in the main dictionary or any specialized dictionary that you don't want Word to flag as misspellings. The Exception Dictionary approaches from the other direction. If there are words that you always want to double-check, then you can add them to the Exception Dictionary. Take manger, for example. It's a correctly spelled word and one that would be at home on a Christmas card. But if you're applying for a job, you're probably looking for the word manager instead. So manger might be a good word to add to your exception dictionary, unless you write a lot of Christmas cards. Words in the exception dictionary are always flagged because these entries trump the entries in any other active dictionary. Once the word has been flagged, you can right-click it and ignore it, or ignore all, for the specific document. employers are asking prospective employees for passwords to social media accounts, such as Facebook and Twitter, for example. I have to think that this is happening in relatively few instances, because any company large enough to have a director of human resources would probably know it's an exquisitely bad idea to either demand or even request passwords. In some instances, an employer might be able to make a case for wanting to see your account from the inside, but unless you're applying for a top-secret clearance with the CIA or some other agency, it just doesn't make sense. Employers might reasonably ask for your username and then ask you to provide access to what you post, but the password? I don't think so. Now, Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal and New Mexico Representative Martin Heinrich, along with some other co-sponsors, have introduced legislation aimed at barring employers from requesting passwords from job applicants or employees. The Password Protection Act of 2012, or PPA, applies to any situation in which an employer might coerce an employee into providing access to information held on any computer that isn't owned or controlled by the employer. If you work for a large company, you probably had to sign an agreement that says you should expect no privacy on a company-owned resource, any company-owned resource that you use. That means desk drawers, it means email accounts, stored documents. If you place the document on a company-owned resource, 
the company has every right to look at it. No problem. There are some gray areas, though. What if the employee uses a work computer to post a comment on Twitter? The law says the company still has no right to force the employee to hand over the password because that would give the employer access to the employee's information on a computer that the company does not control. So that means Yahoo, Hotmail, and Gmail accounts are off-limits. That means that YouTube and Vimeo accounts are off-limits. It means photo-sharing sites are off-limits. And it means that an employee-owned smartphone is off-limits. The PPA doesn't cover students, though. New York Representative Elliot Engel recently introduced the Social Networking Online Protection Act, or SNOPA, and that would extend protections to students. The PPA also permits states to request passwords from government employees or employees who work with children under the age of 13. And the PPA allows the executive branch of the federal government to request passwords from workers who come into contact with classified information. And that would include members of the military. short circuits a quick lesson on how to make a small fortune with Facebook stock. It's a three-part program. Start with a large fortune. Buy Facebook stock high and sell it low. Bingo. Small fortune. A week ago, analysts were saying that only dumb money would pursue Facebook stock at $38 per share, and that seems to be the case. A week ago last Friday, when the stock went on sale, it advanced and then fell back but recovered its value at the end of the day. On Monday, the price fell 11%, so that investors lost about $4 for every share they held. The initial asking price was expected to be between $28 and $35 a share, but demand appeared to be strong, and Morgan Stanley officials decided, along with Facebook, to set the price at $38. The Facebook IPO was being positioned as the new Google, and investors saw easy money. A lot of talk recently has discussed the new Internet bubble, the last time there was an internet bubble, dumb money was pouring into companies that had no hope of ever becoming profitable, and inevitably the bubble burst. And there's a good chance we'll see a repeat of that. Morgan Stanley even had to buy some of the shares on IPO day just to keep the price from sinking too far, and institutional investors found themselves with more shares than anticipated. That is a clear signal that demand for the stock was nowhere near what was anticipated. Last week, in talking about the Facebook IPO, I accidentally typed Fadebook, and then I corrected my typo. Maybe I should let it stand. The Eastman Kodak Company can't seem to find a good break anywhere these days, and the latest bad news is the outcome of a two-year battle with Apple and Research in Motion over digital image preview technology. Ram at Apple didn't violate Kodak's patents, the judge said, because the patent was invalid. If the ruling stands, it could have a dampening effect on Kodak's attempt to sell some of its patent holdings to raise money. The company says it will appeal the United States International Trade Commission Judge Thomas Pender's decision. 
Kodak is currently in Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceedings. It claims that Apple owes it in excess of $1 billion in damages for patent infringement. And there was the hope that that would bring in needed cash as well as improve the value of its patents. Kodak owns more than 1,000 patents dealing with digital imaging, but it's had little success in finding buyers for them. Kodak values the patents at between two and a quarter billion dollars and two and a half billion. Call this one Alibaba and the 40% Yahoo share. China's Alibaba Group plans to buy back about half of its shares that are held by Yahoo. That would reduce Yahoo's share of the conglomerate to 20% and provide Yahoo with some needed cash. The deal was approved unanimously by Yahoo's board of directors this week. Alibaba is commonly known as an internet company, but it operates three large business-to-business businesses, which is one of the reasons that most consumers have never heard of it. Alibaba's English-language operation links importers and exporters around the world. The company's Chinese operation concentrates on business-to-business trade inside China, and a smaller operation, AliExpress, targets buyers who need smaller quantities of goods. At one time, customers could use PayPal to make payments, but PayPal terminated the relationship with Alibaba in 2011. Alibaba says it will buy the stock Yahoo wants to sell for a little over $7 billion. Yahoo plans to divest itself of all Alibaba stock eventually and will use the money to shore up value for shareholders and probably buy back some of its own stock from shareholders. The negotiations with Alibaba began several years ago, but Yahoo's inability to keep a CEO in place for more than a year at a time has certainly hampered those operations. A jury in San Francisco's federal district court cleared Google this week on charges that it violated Oracle's patents in developing its Android operating system. Earlier, there was a mixed verdict on Oracle's claim of copyright infringement. Oracle became the owner of the Java development language when it acquired Sun Microsystems. Android is used on more smartphones than any other operating system, and Oracle claimed that Google had violated both its copyrights and its patents. A loss for Google could have meant substantial fines and also could have given Oracle some control over the direction that Google might take in developing future phones and other devices. Judge William Alsop will determine what penalty Google will face on the copyright violation, and Oracle could still appeal the verdict. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.